This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Mundia DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandal. Hi, this is Lee Bermeo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. This is Brett McCreenberger. And this is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Spertaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comics Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 71. I'm your host Dustin, and today we have with us... You got Josh. This is Donovan. And this is John. And we are bringing the latest news and comic book reviews from June 19th through July 2nd. ton of news over the past couple weeks because a little bit of the uh, relaunch hype has kind of died down, and I'm sure that'll start to build back up towards Comic-Con, but... It's kind of died down for the time being. We do have a total of six books to cover, so we will get to those as well. So let's get right into comic news. Oh, baby, you're a real cute trick. The very first thing we've got comes on June 20th. DC revealed a little bit of new info on the new Batgirl. According to the Daily Blam, they were at the... Calgary Comic and Entertainment Expo, and DC was in attendance along with Gail Simone. And Gail Simone had this to say about the new Batgirl. There's no character closer to my heart than Barbara Gordon. Her new villains are just, ooh, said Simone excitedly. The writer went on to reveal a new villain called Mir and some panels of the character, who appears like a mysterious flasher shoving what appears to be a garden hose down an old man's throat. He's really creepy and really cool she said Simone went on to tease that the new Batgirl costume saying there's some things wired into her costume that is something that hasn't been done before which is the reason why it looks the way it does she said so you can check out the panels on the website nothing really in the panels that explains what she's talking about I am assuming she's referring to the cover of Batgirl number one as um that's the idea of what I'm assuming she's referencing when she talks about things are wired into her costume. So what could these things be? What alarms me is that the first villain Barbara Gordon is going up against as Batgirl is apparently a flasher. Did I hear that right? He looks well, like a I mean, flasher. That's how he was described by the website. Not Gail Simone. Yeah, I don't remember really seeing anything in the costume that looks particularly out of the ordinary. I mean, as far as the superhero costume guns. But, um, yeah, I wonder if it's something like a high-tech back brace or something, so to try and, like, make things like, oh, yeah, she is paralyzed still, but when she wants to walk, you can put this on and go for a stroll. And as I understand, they did that in the uh, Birds of Prey live-action series, apparently, so there's continuity all over the place. I mentioned that idea before about a possible back brace or something built in to actually allow her to walk and to tell you the truth if they did something like that and she was still in a wheelchair um it it would be sort of a cop-out but at the same time i don't think that anybody would ever be able to figure out her alter ego yeah that, that would be a really good way to hide her identity because otherwise it's it's how can you not know it's like green arrow well who else could have that beard but uh ollie queen and who else could have that red hair besides barbara gordon I've said all that I could about Barbara Gordon being back early again until I hear something completely fail. 
kind of over reboot news by now because everyone's been talking about it nonstop for over a month. All right, so then the next thing we've got comes on June 24th over on the latest episode of Word Balloon, which is the podcast that's hosted by Newsarama. Dennis Cohen let uh, some details of a new miniseries called Batman Mortality Loose, and here's what he had to say. I'm doing a Batman story. It's called Batman Mortality where we discuss the five stages of death. Paul Levitz is the writer. Paul Levitz is writing it, and it's a six-issue miniseries, or a six-issue series within the Batman titles. The new Batman, and I didn't know this too, let's back up. Paul and I are planning to do this series, unbeknownst to me, but he probably knew. DC is planning to do this big thing. I finally get the script after months of delay and wondering what's going on with this thing, and all the script, Mike Martz is the editor, and all over the script is red type over the script going, Denny's, use Batman Year One costume. Denny's, there's specific reference for this stuff. Denny's, place everything in this era. And I'm looking at this thing going, why am I placing everything in the 1980s or whatever it is? Well, because they were revamping everything. So when this comes out, it'll be that same era Batman that's coming out in that first issue. It's reflecting all that stuff. So I'm part of this thing, and I didn't even know it until I got the scripts. What's interesting to me is we we know that the month of December tends to be the month where we see one-shots or miniseries come out. If it's a six-issue miniseries, obviously it's not going to be happening specifically in December. We're not going to get an issue every every week, and there's definitely not six weeks in December. But at the same point, it would be interesting to see Paul Levitz write... A Batman story. Um, I would be interested in that. Besides what he wrote, the last thing he wrote, which was the Superman Batman Annual, a couple years back, involving Batman Beyond. I think it would be interesting to see Paul Levitt's writing. Uh, Cohen has has worked very little with Batman, but he did a six issue story arc in Batman Confidential. So, who knows when this is actually going to happen? If it ever does happen. I can't believe that this uh, Denny's Cohen apparently doesn't know exactly why what the field there is they're they're going for this series this mini series. I'm, I'm gonna say there's a lot of creator incompetence going rampant in this in the this era, and it's really getting becoming very very disheartening and just very very frustrating. Just did he seriously not know? Did they seriously not tell him like why he was designed the way things should have been designed? I mean, how far was in the process to find out? I don't know. That, that's, just, that's just really annoying to learn. So then the next bit of news we have is, well, whatever happened to the Batman Odyssey series? Last time we saw an issue was back in February. But on June 24th, uh, Neil Adams kind of talked about the series on his Facebook account, and he posted this, and th- and this is what he posted. Yo, Neil here. What the heck is happening with Batman Odyssey? DC tells us solicitations have begun for the last seven monthly issues. Your stores have not been reacting to your enthusiasm, but rather they have been reaching to the internet chatter. Chatter that I, perhaps, should have responded to. Now, it's all verblungant, and you guys are the ones who are losing out, and I'm sorry. The continuing series is just great. It's exciting and dramatic with Neanderthals, evolved dinosaurs, magicians, war, death, gnomes, trolls, and tests, and the like of which Batman the modern Ulysses have never faced in his life, all happening in a real underworld. 
The multiple climaxes are killer, but if you care, man, I hate to say this, you've got to hawk your stores like bloody hell to get these issues. My promise to you is to give you the best, most exciting comic books ever. I've never failed you, and I never will. But, but this time, you've got to dig in and demand your stores get this. My best Batman series ever. A note. You notice Marvel is actually promoting my work for them, Avengers and the Secret Project. You'll notice Dark Horse is promoting Blood. Well, for some reason, DC isn't promoting Batman Odyssey. So, it's up to you and me, guys and gals. Best, Neil Adams. Alright, so, this is what I got out of this. Um, number one, someone obviously hacked Neil Adams' account because Neil Adams, <laughs> who is you know in his 60s, I can't imagine him saying, Yo, Neil here. What the heck is happening with Batman? Blah, 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 blah. Chatter that I perhaps shall have responded to. The reason why DC is not promoting Batman Odyssey is because they're focusing on the relaunch right now. And they don't want Batman Odyssey that has a thousand tons of weird things going on in it. And you list them yourself, Neil Adams. Gnomes, Trolls, and Tests. Really? Hmm. Not sure that DC wants to be promoting a series right now that has all these odd things that have very little to do with continuity when their big focus right now is on continuity. So that could be the reason why they're not promoting it. And the solicitations for these last seven issues haven't been released. If they have, we would have heard about it and we would have talked about it, but they haven't been. So that could be a reason why DC is not promoting it at all because it's not scheduled to come out at this point right now. It doesn't matter that they're done. They're holding off on it clearly because they don't want this stuff to get confused with the relaunch. And it's also the fact that it seems that this relaunch thing came out of the blue so abruptly that everything that was being planned has to be shelved for a while. I mean, that's why everybody was so concerned about Batman Inc. You know, what's happening with that? Because this is going to change everything. So I understand people wondering what the fate of the series is going to be, whether it's going to be continued or not, because... It's a question with a lot of titles right now. I we don't like we don't like the series here, or at least, at least most of us don't like the series here on, on the Batman universe. So I don't think we, could, we I think we could care less about whether it uh, continues or not, or if it never did continue. But it's a fair question, just because of uh, the, what's what's been happening. And while well, I agree that that Neil Adams is I think he's in his seventies. I think it's really odd that he would probably talk like this. And if he was hatched, that's that's even crazier. The new hip extreme Neil Adams. I'm confused. Are you saying this wasn't Neil Adams posting this? Oh, no. What I'm saying is it was posted from his account, but um, it could very well be Neil Adams because the way he put together this, this uh, letter to fans essentially is the same way he writes Batman Odyssey. Um, so that, that could be a, an inclination that it is, in fact, Neil Adams because it's very incomprehensible. So that could be that could be a sign that it was Neil Adams. You know, I don't want to come across as I don't like Neil Adams. I love his art, okay? He, he does a great job in art. But this is just another example of DC using an artist as a writer and saying, yeah, go for it. Do, do, you know, you write a story. But the problem is, just like David Finch, just like Neil Adams, and for the most part, what Tony Daniels has been doing too, it, they do fan fiction. They do what they want to do. They don't do anything to further the Batman universe. And really, it's just getting tiresome. I'm getting tired of seeing these stories that have very little to do with making Batman a better character because DC doesn't want to get quality writers. I mean, yeah. I don't know, I can see that coming from Neil Adams because when I've been trying to work out stuff for Batbook delays and stuff, I've, I've looked at his blog and it is quite similar to that style of 
you know, trying to be down with the kids sort of thing. <laughs> I like how you say, um, you know, it's fan fiction and then writing their own, what they think should be in a Batman story. And for Neil Adams, it's apparently gnomes and goblins. You know, the, Neil Adams is a guy who was around when when Batman got taken back to the the more gritty element that he was. Okay, he was around. Everyone liked his art because of that, because he was associated with that time frame. Batman Odyssey is the complete opposite of that. Yes, it's gritty. Yes, for some reason he needs to get shot with a thousand bullets and there needs to be a thousand teeth in every single book, very prominently featured. But besides besides the fact that he you know his art is 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 good, the story doesn't make any sense. And for those of us who haven't figured out who Batman's talking to, uh, here's a spoiler. He's probably talking to Superman. What you think that? Because I don't understand who he could possibly be talking to where he's brought up all these other people but not brought up Superman. I think, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he's talking to like himself in the mirror just by the way this is going on. But unless, has, has, has there been like, it would be a word, the worst reveal era ever. This is the worst Batman story. Well, not not ever, but in a, quite a while. So I would not be surprised about anything. Well, if he's talking about it's written in a real life underworld, then he could be talking to something like Hades or something stupid like that. Hey kids, is Grant Morrison making too much sense for you? Well, then do we have the book for you? <laughs> and that's exactly how DC is going to promote it. So, all right. With that being said, let's move on. Um, June twenty seventh. Comic Book Resources posted up an interview with Scott Snyder talking about uh, his switch from Detective Comics over to Batman along with Greg Cupula. So I will read for Comic Book Resources and Josh will read for Scott Snyder. Your co-writer on Gates of Gotham, Kyle Higgins, is picking up the ball of Dick as Nightwing in the new series Hitting the f- in the Fall. With that happening, have you been talking with him about ways your book can sort of hand things over to him? Absolutely. We talk almost every day, me and Kyle. At this point, Mike Martz, our editor, has done a great job of making a collaborative atmosphere in the books. So I talk to Pete Tomasi and Tony Daniel all the time, too, as well as Gail Simone. So there really is a feel of sharing everything. With a character like Dick Grayson, Kyle and I talk a lot. I've told him my ideas and how Detective was going to end, and he's told me his plans for the character. What I really want to stress to fans, because I know in a general way there's a lot of excitement, there's also a lot of nervousness about the fall initiative. The things that you love about Batman, I can't say every piece of continuity will be the same, since there will be some small changes that I'm excited about. But if people are worried about things like, will Tim Drake exist? Well, you've seen the solicitations for Teen Titans, so you know he does. But if you're worried that the things you've joined about the Batman universe... Oh, cool, he plugged us. For the past few years, in the dynamics of the Batman and family, and the stories of Batman Ake, and the richness of the mythology and Grant Morrison stuff. The people that work on the books love it as much as you do. We couldn't love it anymore, and the last thing we want to do is erase it or change it just for a headline. We would never do that. In terms of Dick Grayson moving over to Nightwing, it's not like a magic wand will be waved, and then suddenly he's turned into Nightwing. We're trying very hard, and some of this is on Grant's shoulders as well, but the rest of us are trying to make these changes based on character and story. The things you've loved about the Bat-You in general aren't going anywhere. They've asked us not to say reboot, especially in the Bat-Books. It's not a reboot. The things you love about Batman's history are the things we love, and we don't want to mess with that. It's really about having a fresh new start for the stories we're excited about. We're moving forward with the same creative teams, and it's not about shoving Dick Grayson back in the Nightwing world because it's important to have Bruce and the Cal for movies and so on. It's about the stories we want to tell with 
the characters, and the best way we could figure to tell these. I want fans to understand that they don't have to be afraid that Dick Grayson is going to have his memory wiped and be a totally different character, or that Tim Drake won't exist. That's not the stuff we're interested in as people. We're just interested in telling new, exciting stories with the characters. This will give people a good point to end this rich history, but the history stands. I understand the fear, and in Batman 1, you'll see the status quo. And I think you'll be surprised when you think of the things people are afraid of not being there. None of us are out to mangle Batman or change him for the sake of making him hipper or cooler. So let's talk about Batman number 1, the first comic with distinction since 1940. What's it feel to take on that task? It's terrifying. <laughs> I mean... Believe me, I'm not going to lie. I've worked on this issue and given it more and given it to more of my friends in the comic industry, Jeff Lemire, Pete Tomasi, JT Cruel, Tony Daniel, and asked them all to help me make sure it's as good as it can be, around and around. It's as important as anything I've ever done. I don't take the idea of taking on Batman in general lightly ever. So I definitely wouldn't take doing a Batman number one even just seriously. I couldn't be more serious and obsessive about making it as good as possible. And I said this before about tech, but I'll say it again. I wouldn't have taken this on if I didn't have a story I was excited about telling with Bruce before the opportunity came to be doing Batman. I had a Bruce Wayne story I came to Mike Martz with where I said, this is a story I think would be kind to do. It's big and epic. It explores the bad mythology and the history of Gotham. It has things that will be surprising to Bruce about his own city and new enemies and all this stuff. Mike said they were going to move Bruce back to Batman, so if I had a story I want to tell, that would be the place. So I talked to Tony, we compared our plans, and none of this is just things getting reshuffled. I know that if it gets out there that it seems like we're just randomly pitched for different things, but that's never been my experience, and it'll probably be the same through the rest of DCU. I can tell you for a fact that in the Bat-U, we all talk and figure this stuff out as a team. I told them about the story. They said it might be good for Batman, and so I talked to Tony and asked him if he wanted to stay on Batman or if he wanted to flex his muscles on a different book. We went back and forth, and the point is that I wouldn't have stepped onto Batman if I hadn't had a story that had worked for this book from way before when. But the added pressure of it being Batman number one, yeah, it's extremely exciting and terrifying at the same time. In terms of what it means for the book, the book is a reintroduction of Bruce to Gotham itself. It counts the fact that his interests have been kind of far-flung of late because of Batman Inc., and the city might have some surprises in store for him. It's a city he knows so well and knows maybe more than anybody, and since he's its sole protector, the question becomes... What if it has things it's been hiding from him this whole time? We wanted to start it in a way that would reintroduce Bruce to Gotham in a big, fun way. The tag is, Bruce is back, and it's been that way from the very beginning. We got some big, fun popcorn moments in the first pages of the first issue that really plays on the excitement we plan on having Bruce back to Gotham. But on the other hand, while it wasn't that much of a challenge to make this a new number one for new readers, I did try to some touches that mention his origin story and things like that, they wound up fitting in pretty organically with the rest of the story because of what happens on the issue. I wanted it to be both things. I don't want it to read for people who haven't followed Batman like I know this stuff already. It's just the beginning of a big epic story, and it's something new that they can jump on and see as an accessible point. Alright, so that's the end of that interview. Let's just say right now, this is only two questions of the interview, and the interview was much, much longer than these two questions. Things of interest out of, out of this is, obviously Scott Snyder has been tasked with the job of going out there and spreading the word that the Bat Books are not being rebooted, 
and he needs to tell everybody about it because that's one thing that's been clearly said in every single interview that he's done with every single news agency that he's done an interview with is we are not rebooting it the bad books are not rebooting the bad books are not rebooting so the bad books are not rebooting everyone I'm so tired of this, you know, like, don't call it a reboot, but we're going to advertise it as a reboot, and it's pretty much a reboot, but don't call it a reboot. It's like, it was either this show where I'm back for the Oracle, I was like, that thing that you're sitting on, don't call it a chair. It's shaped like a chair, it's most definitely a chair, but don't call it a chair. Let's play interview for a second. Dustin, are they continuing with the old numbering? No. Okay. Will this be in the exact same continuity as all the other books, meaning... You know, when Jason Todd died, did Superman still come and Batman still punched him in the face? That's the same Superman, the John Byrne Superman and everything, like the same continuity because Batman's from Holy... We're in, we're in the same continuity, right? We don't know that for sure. Okay, well, it's it seems like they're advertising it as a new continuity. So, new continuity, even if the Bat books are continuing their thing, you know, just changing other characters like Superman and Wonder Woman, you're in a new timeline. New timeline... New number one. But it's not a reboot. Just like, God, don't be so, like, I hate the word and I hate using it. But if you're doing it, don't be afraid of saying the word. Well, I'm not swimming. I'm just treading water and floating while, while, while moving forward in it. <sighs> it's so stupid. They're like, they, they want to advertise this as a reboot for, like, the general masses so that they'll buy the thing. But they don't want to scare the guy. God, you can't play it both ways. Pick a stance. If you're not rebooting it, then keep the old numbering. Keep the continuity. Keep all the characters. I've, I've seen point, things less point, than this called reboots. At, at this point, it seems to me as if... You know, the the renumbering thing, yeah, it's annoying, but I think ultimately what it comes down to is if they would have advertised this as a reboot but kept the numbering, I don't know that that would have, that would have changed anything either. Um, I think at this point, it's just... They're they're trying to make such a big wave so that people who are outside of the comic community hear about it, that they start picking up some of these issues. But I think the, the problem is that it all goes back. We've had this discussion before about the marketing, and it's that's really what's what the problem is going to end up being is is this really being marketed towards people who aren't reading comics? Because everything that we're seeing is happening in. Uh, news agencies that the comic community reads, not mainstream media. So, yeah, okay, CNN posts an article about the the relaunch, and USA Today's run a couple articles. But honestly, if people aren't picking up a USA a copy of USA Today, why would they be picking up a comic book at a comic shop? I'm with Josh in that. Just call it a freaking reboot. If it looks like a duck smells like a duck and all that stuff to call it a duck. I mean, when when they did this back in 86, yeah, there were complaints, but DC, the, the overall consistency was that it was a good thing because they went for it both feet into the water. They didn't just, like, you know, tiptoe along and say, well, oh, GL and Batman are still, still the same, but everything else is different because those two were successful. That's incredibly disingenuous to all the creators have been doing that before. So if you're going to say don't call it a reboot, then don't reboot, don't reboot like, Eight out of ten parts of the universe and uh, the company line. For the interview itself, I mean, I actually really enjoyed um, what all Snyder had to say, and I do mean all, or at least from what I read, because it was a lot. 
because he sounds like he's an incredibly big fan of Batman, that he really gives a lot of time. Even though asking JT Cruel and David Finch what he thinks about his story, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's too advisable. But anyway, I mean, as, as, as excited as I am for Batman, what he had to say about the reboot didn't really make me excited for the rest of the stuff. I mean, okay, yeah, Tim's still are there, and uh, everyone's still where they were, but okay, we've established that history is not being changed at least at least from the from the past point of these characters. But how exactly are going they going to move forward? What exactly is making Barbara become Batgirl again? That's the question we want to answer. Where's Stephanie Brown? And unless we see those, it's hard for us to get, become fully invested into what's going on now. We've said this before. And, you know, until we see something different, it's, there's not too much we can say. And when you start over from, like, 600 and something to a number one, by definition, you are rebooting the numbering. Like, a reboot doesn't just have to be continuity for, like, it to be considered a reboot. It can be a number. Like, they still call what happened to Spider-Man in the 90s, like, the reboots, because they started everything over from number one. So, yes, you know, like, this is a reboot. But don't call it a reboot. It's a chair. We, um, we really have talked this to death now. I think the way I feel about it now is just, it still is kind of a wait and see sort of thing. I mean, I'm, I, yeah, I'm disappointed that they've renumbered everything. But, you know, I hope they don't do what Marvel did, where they renumber everything, realize that it hasn't worked, and then put the numbering back to where it would be if everything was carrying on, because... That again, that that just shows them not going through with it. And if they are going to go through with it, when they then they have to go through with it the whole way. And whilst it's disappointing and stuff, if it's if it's to get new readers and stuff, then I can see why they might have to do it. But then, if that is the whole point, then they really need to start advertising it because I mean, I live in England, but I haven't seen anything to promote this. And I think that's the other aspect is that this really isn't being handled very well overseas because to this day, digital comics are still not available in countries besides the U.S. as far as I'm aware of. Maybe possibly Canada. We might need some fan clarification on that. But for the most part, they're not available in these other countries. And I think the biggest downfall with that is countries like... England, for instance, where they don't have as many comic shops, or the comic shops that there are, you have to drive a very far distance to get to. It's very unlikely that people are actually heading to the comic shops every week to get the comics. So wouldn't it make more sense to make the digital comics available to these areas of the world that don't have the comic shops readily available? But I guess that's another discussion for another time. All right, so the next thing we've got is an interview with David Hine. David Hine is writing the last issue of Batman Robin before the relaunch in September. His issue will actually come out in August. So for this interview, I will read for comic book resources, and Don will read for David Hine. From that cover, it looks like Dick and Damien are in for a fairly trippy adventure. What can you tell us about the story? This was always intended to be an offbeat story, but it ended up being a little more experimental than I thought it would be. I originally pitched it as a longer, multi-part arc, but with the events of September looming, I had to reduce it to 20 pages. I had a lot of ideas of what I wanted to do with the French version of Arkham Asylum, known as Les Jardins Noirs, and a lot of inmates to introduce. I wanted the whole thing to resemble an art project where the curtailed page count made sense to make it work in a progress. It's almost a collection of sketches for a finished piece. Each page has a little scene, and the story is quite elliptical. 
I'm hoping readers are intrigued enough to want to fill in the gaps sometime in the future. Essentially, the story is some of the inmates of the asylum have been freed by the Son of Man, who proceeds to unleash their transformative powers on Paris, turning a whole area around the Louvre into a work of performance art. Batman, Robin, and Nightrunner have to, have to unravel the working of the Son of Man's mind to uncover his motivation, so they can figure out how to put things back to normal. How does Le Jardin Noir differ from the American Arkham? The inmates we meet, unlike most Arkham's residents, aren't really villains. They are there because they are mentally unbalanced and possess paranormal powers. They're all metahumans, and their powers all relate to altered states. They can mess with reality or unhinge the mind, so it's all very Freudian. I understand this issue involves Nightrunner. What role does the French Batman play in the story? With the inmates from Le Jardin Noir on the loose, Nightrunner is clearly out of his depth and is forced to appeal to Batman for help. Once they arrive, they work as a well-adjusted team to combat the bizarre forces raged against them. Or they screw up in spectacular fashion and go surreal on us. Some of what you see on the cover does come to pass. Given the restricted page count, I'm afraid there won't be a lot of in-depth exploration of Nightrunner's character here. That will have to wait for another time. Alright, so, let's say in in an interview, I have to say, David Hine can do a good story when it involves a lot of criminals. Specifically, what he's do- what he did in the past during Battle for the Cowl and Batman coming back, all the Arkham Asylum stuff and kind of working Jeremiah Arkham into this new character, which now he is obviously Black Mask. But he did a very good job with that. He didn't do a very good job when he was working with when he was working on that uh, villain story in Detective Comics, and to me that almost felt like it was a story that was written a while back before the Arkham stuff, and it was used as a fill-in until Scott Snyder was about to take over Detective Comics, and that was just a fill-in story for the time being, because it definitely didn't seem like the David Hines stories that we, we've we read in the months prior to that. That being said, I'm looking forward to this issue because I, I think it's interesting to explore... Arkham Asylum. I thought all the Arkham Asylum stuff that he did was was really good. And the French Arkham Asylum, I think, is an interesting idea as well. Although it will be... The, the most interesting thing about it is the fact that because he's limited to so many pages and it was originally pitched as a much longer story, how exactly it's going to work. I At one point he says that it's, a, it's titled A Work in Progress in the beginning of the story... And that to me is interesting because it'll be it'll be essentially like an outline to a much larger story that we may never actually see. I'm intrigued of the uh, Arkham inmates, and I like the fact that they are going to make them different from the American version. I mean, Arkham is a Gotham institution. It really shouldn't be a global thing. But if they have to be named Arkham, I'm glad they are being differentiated and not really, I don't know, supervillains in the strictest sense. I mean, an asylum by nature is for the mentally disturbed more or less so than the criminally insane so at least in reality it is so i like the fact that they are actually paying attention to like what that is and what that could mean when it's done in a different country if you want to hear my thoughts on this just go back one maybe two episodes because there was pretty much this exact interview in another podcast we did i was actually thinking is this did we do this already (laughs) Pretty much. I mean, in the last one, we got even more information because we got some of the villains' names, so this was really pointless. So then, moving right along into our next bit of news, on June 28th, DC revealed the cover for the DC Retroactive 80s Batman cover. The uh, cover is done by Jerry Bingham and Carlos Bedella, and you can check it out on the website. It definitely 
definitely screams 80s when you look at it. Uh, moving right along, on June 29th, Newsarama posed a very simple question to a number of the writers involved with the relaunch taking place in September. The question was, if you could give fans one or more clue about what's coming in your corner of the Batman universe, what would you say? So the ten clues that they listed, first from Batman writer Scott Snyder, Bruce feels he has been away too much over the past year and decides to reinvest in Gotham, both as a Wayne and as Batman. After all, a hero can never have too many bunkers. Um, I feel that contradicts itself because... He's going back to his original bunker. From Birds of Prey writer Dwayne Swirinsky, this time everyone is after the Birds of Prey. The bad guys, the cops, the mob, the CIA, the Yakuza, and even some good guys as well. So I guess everybody before the good guys mentioned was all supposed to be the bad guys. I guess the CIA and the cops are all bad in this story too. From Batman writer Scott Snyder, an old friend will soon become Bruce's deadliest enemy. I hope to God it's not Thomas Elliot. I don't, I don't know what that could mean, Alfred. Um, from that Catwoman, would be a, Oh, they already did that. From Catwoman writer Judd Winnick, when Catwoman is left with nothing, she finds herself turning to the same person again, and again, and again. And it's the wrong move each and every time. So, so I'm assuming at this point she loses all of the money that she uh, siphoned from Tommy Elliot, and she possibly be turning to Bruce Wayne. I I don't imagine it being the wrong move, so we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, but I bet it's a sexy, dangerous adventure. Ooh. <laughs> She's very, very bad at being good, and very good at being bad, and she loves being bad. All right, from Batman writer Scott Snyder and Nightwing writer Kyle Higgins, clues about Gotham City itself. Gotham is a totem older than the bat, something dark and deadly. Dick belongs to Gotham, but not the way he thinks. There are clues about the ancient evil Bruce will face written into Gotham itself, carved into the architecture. Look closely. There is even a secret design underneath the streets of Gotham, the past, the present, and the fate of the Bat family. What if it's all written in the stone walls of the city, the future, a future doomed, a future saved, a future told? That just makes me think of the um, Barbatos stuff from Grant Morrison's one. From Batwing writer Judd Winnick, In a nation still finding its feet after a 30-year war, Batwing is a new hero, which is good, because someone is murdering all the old ones. Whatever. <laughs> the weird thing about this is, I mean, I know people have probably said it before, but Gotham City like needs Bat- Batman, stays in Gotham City, and he's even got like more heroes. He's got like Batgirl and Robin and stuff to help him, all in Gotham City. And yet there's one hero in the whole of Africa... This fighting crime. Because he's just that good. Because the Black Panther is, is in trouble. That's why. Which is right. why I was saying that I wanted Nightwing to have his own city that wasn't Gotham. From Batman writer Scott Snyder, the Waynes will be revealed as participants in a secret war. A war for the city's soul that has been raging for centuries. A Wayne found murdered in 1888. A warning hidden between the lines. Written in his own hand. For Bruce. Okay, time out, time out, time out. Well, this can say it. Are these, is this entire next year Batman going to be Gotham City's evil and everyone that, that was that is now that was once evil, and there are secrets and secrets and secrets with the Waynes? Like, okay, Gates of Gotham had that idea, but are we seriously doing this with every single Bat book? Because it's getting really tired. This comment seems as if it's just referencing 
Gates of Gotham because in the time frame of 1888, that was when Alan Wayne was around, the father of Thomas Wayne, and we've seen that in Gates of Gotham. We'll actually talk about that later with Gates, the, the, the recent issue of Gates of Gotham that we were going to be reviewing. So that would, I would imagine that would be the person murdered unless it was like an uncle or something. But yeah, let's let's continue on with the, the Gotham is not uh, what it always has been. From Nightwing writer Kyle Higgins, Haley Circus is not what we think it is. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, it blew up. It's gone. Oh, no, 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 no. That, that was in the old continuity. We're in a new continuity. Oh, no, we're not because we're not calling oh, it. Okay, all right. Yeah, all just right. quickly. It's getting old. It's yeah. getting old. Then, okay. then they need to shit or get off the pods because, yeah, it's getting old. <laughs> no, it's getting old with you saying it every five minutes. <laughs> well, by God, I mean... They're like throwing this stuff in my face. Like they're like, no, we're continuing the same story, the same story where Haley Circus blew up and is gone. Like this is this is what I've been complaining about for years in general at DC. Like you can blow up Haley Circus and it be gone, then have it appear with no explanation. But what, whatever. Um, I'm taking a timeout. Well, maybe, maybe flashback because it, it isn't like the Flashpoint mini. Maybe Flashpoint brings it back. Who knows? Let's it's gonna, it's continue. gonna. We're not gonna use a magic wand to make Dick Grayson turn into Nightwing again. Haley Circus, on the other hand. From Batman writer Scott Snyder, what if there's a secret unmarked thirteenth floor? And finally, from Detective Comics writer Tony Daniel, Batman wants a piece of the Joker's mind. So I guess Joker's gonna get a lobotomy. I, I hope that's what it is. Or oh, he's gonna eat him or something. <laughs> Batman, the new Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> All right. And then the very last bit of news we have comes on July 1st, and it is an interview with Tony Daniel done by Newsrama. So for this interview, I will read for Newsrama, and Joe will read for Tony Daniel. Is there a little leeway you have since most people know the basics about Batman, or are you really approaching this as a new number one? Everyone gets Batman. Everyone knows who Bruce Wayne is, who Alfred is, who the Joker is. Someone new jumping in won't be lost, because of how familiar the general public is with the Batman franchise. There isn't a big need for reintroductions. But this is still being approached with new readers in mind. With several new number one Batman comics being published in September, what's different about your detective comics? I think the tone, the shorter stories, the big art. I will be different from what I've done before and different from the other Bat books. Is there anything you want to tell the fans about the general premise of the book. The, pr the premise is suspense crime thriller. If I could describe it in one word, it would be hardcore. Ugh. Okay, so as usual, Tony Daniel gives no information whatsoever about what we can expect from his writing slash art slash heading up Detective Comics. What I do find interesting is that the premise of Detective Comics is suspense crime thriller. Really? Ah. That must have been a far-fetched uh, thought to to come across that one. In the same I, era right now, I don't mean to interrupt, but the same era right now where Two-Face is, you know, being driven insane and he has to uh, join forces with criminals and shooting people in the head every five at five pages. So, yeah, this is different. This is new and different. The the one thing that I did find interesting about this interview is that he does say that the, sh the that they're going to be shorter stories. And he says that's different from the other Bat books and what he's done before, specifically because, for the most part, he's been having this ongoing story and everything that he's written since he started writing the Batman title. 
he's been telling one story and it just continues over a long period of time and has breaks, but it's just the same story. It doesn't really change. But the shorter story element is interesting because DC did say at some point, I think it was a Dan DiDio quote that I read online, he said that, you know, creators are being told to write the stories that they want. They don't have to accommodate for trade paperbacks. That's edit the editorial's job at figuring out how to collect these issues after the fact. It's not the job of the editor to tell the the creator, hey, no, you know, you gotta do four issue story arcs, you gotta do three issue story arcs. That's the only way we're gonna be able to make them into trade paperbacks. So the shorter story thing that Tony Daniel says makes me think to myself that Maybe that actually is the case, and it's not just Dan DiDio blowing steam. Possibly. I think the um, suspense crime drama kind of genre will fit better in Detectives, and I'm looking forward to seeing Daniel write shorter arcs, because I think he does tend to get a bit lost when he tries to go for an ongoing narrative. So that is all of the comic news. Like I said, lots of stuff. Uh, you know, Comic-Con's right around the corner. And with Comic-Con right around the corner, we do have one more episode before Comic-Con, so I'm sure we'll hear some more relaunch news in relation to Comic-Con and what we could possibly be hearing at Comic-Con. But for now, let's get right into our comic book reviews. We do have six books to cover, and our very first book is Batman Gates of Gotham, number two. You work with me, Tim. You follow the rules. Rule number one, you give me everything you've got. Rule number two. Then you give me more. And rule number three. I make the rules. With a flashback of two boys, and they're essentially the architects that build the bridges, and they talk about their history of how they started building bridges and the reason they came to Gotham was because they were told they were going to come to a city that was in the clouds. Um, Approached by Alan Wayne who gave them the idea of building the bridges and then met up with the other two families, the Elliots and the Cobblepots, to, you know, kind of pose them to have the other two bridges of the city. Uh, We then have a discussion about that there's going to be towers made, Wayne Tower being in the middle of Gotham City. It's going to be erected bigger than any other building in the world, and it actually is. We then cut to present time where Dick Grayson Batman is talking with Commissioner Gordon about who exactly attacked Tommy Elliott at the end of the last issue. Red Robin is tasked with going back to the Batcave and trying to figure out exactly who it is. Beneath Gotham City in the sewers, we see Tommy Elliott being held hostage by this new villain we don't know the name of, and essentially Tommy Elliott warns him, if you don't uh, stay away from the Waynes, I'm going to kill you. And then we cut to Damien and Cassandra Kane, who are staking out the Iceberg Lounge. Damien's going back and forth, basically berating Cassandra, telling her that she's, she's, not, a, she's not worth it. And uh, she could have never been the head of the League of Assassins. Um, We then cut to Dick, who is going to the Elliott Mansion to try to find out a little bit more information about the history of Gotham City. Tim is back at the Bat Bunker trying to piece together who this villain is, but he is unable to at this point. 
We then find out that Penguin has been warned numerous times by the police to evacuate the Iceberg Lounge, but he has refused. But he finds out that there's actually a package on his desk making some beep beep bomb sounds, I suppose. At once, we find out that there's a bomb in the top of Wayne Manor as well as the Iceberg Lounge. Damien and Cassandra are tasked with trying to figure out how to get rid of the bomb at the Iceberg Lounge while Dick Grayson finds out that Tommy Elliot is actually strapped to the bomb at the top of Wayne Manor. Through all of this, what comes to happen is that Damien is unable to disarm the bomb at the Iceberg Lounge and they, they escape barely along with uh, the fact that Dick Grayson escapes saving Tommy Elliot but unfortunately Wayne Tower as well as the Iceberg Lounge are blown up. We then find out from Tommy Elliot that the Gates of Gotham are not in fact what but they are a who. As it turns out the two brothers in the beginning of the comic the actual architects of Gotham are in fact the gates of Gotham as their surname is Gates. And that is the end of Batman Gates of Gotham number two. This was this was pretty interesting. I like the flashback. I am never gonna be, I'm a sucker for the history of Gotham City. I'm the sucker of history of the Bat family. I, I'm a sucker for this type of thing. So this issue was was very good in my opinion. I, I like the reveal where we actually find out that the gates of Gotham are in fact the architects instead of the actual bridges because in the first issue, if in fact we found out that the, the bridges were the gates of Gotham, that would, would kind of suck. But I like this twist, and not only that, but also on the final page, we see that not only the architects are wearing the same suit as the present-day villain that recently took Tommy Elliott hostage and, we assume, blew up Wayne Tower in the Iceberg Lounge, but we also see a number of other people wearing these suits as well. So I'm sure that we'll see in the, com the coming issues what the suit had to do with them building Gotham City and, and why other people were wearing it. And I'm sure it plays something into the fact that it had something to do with the time frame and give them give, gives them abilities to do something worthwhile in their in their professions. Um, so we'll see see what happens with that. I thought this was a great issue. Uh, four out of five batterings. I enjoyed this book, and uh, partially because both Kyle Higgins and Scott Snyder, you know, I don't know how much of it is a collaboration or not, but I like both of their writing styles and what they bring to the Batman universe. So working together, you know, they really come up with something great. I mean, it's a lot better than if they would have teamed up. Well, I'm not going to, you know, mudsling, so I'm not going to say the names of, you know, two really bad writers just to insult them. But that, that's a big part of what well, and the art was good. And more so than the general overall story, I'm a big fan of, you know, supporting characters in the Batman family. And I liked how we're basically seeing these new team-up dynamics that we haven't seen before. Damien's been around since, oh, 2006, I think, is when Batman, Son and, Batman and Son was. If it wasn't 2006, it was very shortly thereafter. And I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, this is the first time he's actually teamed up with Cassandra. Now, that's partially because, you know, if Cassandra Kane's in a book, oh, my gosh, you know, that's, like, such a rarity. But um, I'm surprised about Damien's reaction to her, though. It's so cliche for Damien to hate everyone, especially when in the Batgirl title, you know, from last year, he was like, oh, I want to meet Cassandra. She's more interesting. But that's the way that they're choosing to go about this, I suppose. To me, it's a little cliche, like, at this point, that everyone that Damien runs into, he's like, you suck and I'm awesome. And people say, well, that's his character. Uh, whatever. 
Anyway, the art was good. I like, you know, the overall story, but, you know, seeing these different members of the Batman family interact in a world where the Batman family is just off doing their own thing most of the time, that's a plus. You know, it's an added bonus. The art's great. I like the writing, so I am going to go ahead and give it 5 out of 5 batterings. I really enjoyed this issue a lot more than the last one, and I enjoyed the last issue, so this was even better. I really like the arts. I mean... They're still doing that kind of thing, that really obvious trope of repeating certain panels, just flipping them or whatever. But it was less obvious in this issue, I think. So I shouldn't really give that a plus, I suppose, but it was less uh, distracting, I should say. I like the fact that at the, at the twist, there was, you know, ah, the gates aren't what, they're who. And we revealed who they are at the end. I thought that was a very nice writing trope. And <laughs> I was, the biggest thing with me is that we got to see uh, Cassandra back in action, teaming up with Damien, which... Um, I suppose a lot of people want to see coming just, just by the nature of who they are. And I was actually, for the first time in a long time, really annoyed with Damien. But at the same time, I think it wasn't out of character for him to to play up that really annoying snot kind of persona that he always has. What I really like about how they're writing Cassandra here is that she, she's not very emotional. Or she doesn't display her emotions on her sleeve or whatever. And I think that's a very good thing. I think that the last time we saw Cassandra being written very well, that she was sort of like learning how to be human, if that makes any sense. So whenever Damien's, like, disparaging her or whatever, she's not really reacting. Even when she's talking to Tim, it doesn't seem to really bother her. And she saved his life, and, and Damien's acting like a kid, you know? He's learning to be a better person, but he's like, you know, I could have destroyed the bomb, I could have done it, I could have done it! And she's like, well, don't forget what matters, you're still alive. So, I like the fact that all these different characters have a certain level, level of maturity, not just her and Dam- Damien, but uh, Tim and Dick as well. They all... They all feel like a different personalities while trying to achieve the same goal. It doesn't seem to be played as obvious as you think, but if you read into it, it looks it comes off pretty well. So, this is a really good issue. I'm gonna give this four and a half out of five batterings. I liked the references to the villain being described as looking like a steampunk, because all over the internet, people have been using that term, and I reckon Higgins must have heard that and then dropped it in just as a reference, which I thought was quite fun. I'm still not sold on the art. It's, I just don't think it's really a style that I enjoy. But I liked it more than last issue. And I enjoyed the whole issue more than I did last issue. Even with the inclusion of Hush. But um, I think one issue I do have with it is while I enjoy reading it, I enjoy the writing and it's getting me interested for reading Higgins's Nightwing. Um it does feel a little bit heavy-handed and a bit like it's trying to push Dick in this sort of direction where he's, I feel, slightly out of character from what we're reading him in his other titles. And like as if it's really trying to make it seem as if he's not happy being Batman and wants to be Nightwing again, which I know they kind of have to do to make it flow in continuity, but I, I feel it's a bit jarring. But... um even with that, I did enjoy the issue quite a lot, and I'm going to give it four out of five batterings. That is going to give Batman Gates of Gotham number two four and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next issue, The Outsiders number 40. Bat message. Some people never learn, but Professor Irwin certainly learned something today. He was so worried about looking good in front of others, he presented a car to the public that he knew was dangerous. Right, and he learned the most important lesson of all. It's not what other people think about us that's important. What's important is doing what is right. 
Cape Crusaders. Next time Robin cooks supper, I'm eating out. Written and co-plotted by Dan Adio and Philip Tan. This issue uh, is a short one. It mainly consists of Batman heading back to the Outsiders and reminiscing the team, the history of the team through its conception and origin, through its leadership with Nightwing and uh, the many faces it's all there, to its current standing in the superhero community. We do learn in the middle of the book that an hour before, Batman had, had prevented Amanda Waller's military team from destroying Markovia with a nuclear device. 30 minutes after that, the team of the Outsiders confronts Geoforce for losing control during the previous battle against something he calls Veritas, which, uh, no prizes for winning, is Latin for truth. When Batman arrives, he tells Geoforce to assume the natural responsibilities as a leader, but Geoforce leaves essentially retiring from the team. It's not explicitly said, but it's implied by his actions. At the end of the issue, we see Geoforce looking over his ravaged homeland of Markovia, and the caption informs us that he will always feel like an outsider. The Outsiders number 40, or as it was titled on the front of the cover, Batman and the Outsiders number 40. Um, the reason we covered this issue was specifically because this was the issue that Batman goes back to the Outsiders and essentially disbands them. But, as we find out in the actual issue, he doesn't actually disband the Outsiders. He gives Geoforce an ultimatum. Geoforce decides that he doesn't want to be a part of the Outsiders, at least for the time being. This really just seemed like the overall end of the Outsiders. I don't see us seeing the Outsiders in any form for a very long period of time, despite the fact that they are supposedly playing a role inside of Batman Incorporated. Although, Batman Incorporated only did feature a number of the 13 members that remain of the Outsiders, so it will be interesting to see how exactly that plays out. This, to me, just felt like a, the swan song for the Outsiders. We had all these big splash pages with all, all the different rosters that the Outsiders have been over the past essentially 30 years since their incarnation in the early 80s. So that's why I think the Outsiders aren't going to be around anymore. Uh, to tell you the truth, I don't even know who half the 13 members of the Outsiders are anymore because we stopped reading the Outsiders a while back after it was clearly it, it was clearly presented to us that it's no longer a Batman book. It was more of a Superman book with the Eradicator playing a major role in the series. So with that being said... I, I like the splash pages. I thought that was cool. I thought it was cool to see kind of the history of the Outsiders. But as from a story standpoint, it did nothing except for Batman say, Geoforce, get in line or step aside. And that that was essentially all that happened. So with that, I'm going to give it two out of five batterings. This wasn't an issue. This was a series of splash page flashback tributes to all members of the team with a few pages of story. Like, I think more than 50% of the issue was Batman sitting in the back plane thinking, oh, I remember this group of outsiders. Ooh, and who could forget this group? Oh, and who could forget when Dick Grayson led the team? Oh, and remember when Alfred led it? Yeah. Well, they kind of stopped now. I need to get them in line. I can't believe I let this go for this long. The end was too ambiguous. Like, are they getting, like, it, Dustin made the comment, like, are they just getting absorbed into Batman Incorporated? Like, he bought the Outsiders out, you know, and, like, just absorbed them into Batman Inc. Because he puts them on a plane and he says, what are we going to do with all these Outsiders? And then they're like, ooh, did Batman just say that? As if Batman said something, like, really, really edgy or, like, you know, added. No, he just asked, what are we going to do with a bunch of Outsiders? Gosh. <sighs> it, 
Geoforce wasn't redeemed, so, you know, if you're a big Geoforce fan or something or whatever, you know, well, you sure got the shaft, you know. Basically, <laughs> your character's a jerk and admitted he was a jerk and then kind of even said to himself, I kind of suck. I tried to be like you, but I suck, but I'm not sorry. So this book, pretty much like Outsiders has been since Dan DiDio took over, one out of five batterings. The art was really good. In fact, for a while, for a while, because like you don't get the credits to the last page, I thought that Ivan Reese of Green Lantern fame was drawing just because that sort of looks like his Batman. But uh, Philip Tan did a, did a did a really good job uh, with the art. Him and uh, Ron Randall, they both did a really good job art wise. Um, story wise, this was incredibly lacking. I mean, essentially, this is one of the worst depictions of decompressed padding in modern comic books ever. I mean, this the the main crux of this issue: Batman talking to G Force and then uh, grabbing all the outsiders and putting them on the bat plane. That can happen in 1.5 pages of of a uh, of a typically told comic story. And there's pages and pages and pages, double uh, spread splashes of just different teams. And what really is kind of galling for me is that I am not very well versed in the outsiders. I have a very limited knowledge of who all has been on the team, which teams have existed, and this issue didn't help me at all. We got a lot of pages about a wedding, I suppose Geoforce and one of the members hooked up. We get a different incarnations with Nightwing led a team, but we don't get any explanation as to why it happened. I know the original of the Outsiders from the early 80s, and I know uh, here and there what happened when Batman left the team intermittently, but why is, the, why is there an image of the Teen Titans in the very beginning? Like, what's the significance of that besides the fact that Tara was Geoforce's sister? Why are there... And he says, you know, oh, one was betrayed... One of the teams was betrayed by a member. How? Why? I mean, I, mean, I was so lost, and I suppose I should have researched and read their previous issue, but if, if we're going for the mention that is everyone's first... And, and this seems like an issue to introduce people to these characters. Nothing was told. Not a single character besides Geoforce is, is given a name. Not even for exposition or introductions. And more than anything, that was the most frustrating thing about it. You can, you can have a nonsense issue, but it can at least be, be entertaining if it's informational as to what is the history of the team is. But we didn't get that. We just got a bunch of pretty pictures. And as good as the art is, and it is very, very good art, the writing was so lacking that this issue, this comic is essentially worthless. So i got to give this one out of five betterings, too. Josh already said it, but I thought of it, too, so I'm going to say it as well. This wasn't really an issue because the first half of the book was just double-page spreads of the honest, uninteresting history of the Outsiders intertwined by a weak narrative. And I, mean, I know Dan DiDio is a massive Silver Age fanboy, and I'm not sure if it was a technique he borrowed from that or if it's just something I don't understand. But I don't, I don't know why the book was narrated by some unknown protagonist. Like, it wasn't Batman's voice, it wasn't Geoforce's voice. Just all the way throughout, there was this kind of floating narrative, which, you know, it didn't actually have a voice. It's William Dozier. I, um, <laughs> I didn't enjoy the art. The splash pages were okay, but for the most part, I didn't think it was particularly good. The only good thing about the issue was that it only took me about five minutes to read, so I got it over with quickly. Although, if you do still want to read this, I've got a quick tip for you. When you do get to the narration boxes, 
read them with Morgan Freeman's voice in your head because I guarantee it adds a level of sophistication <laughs> to the room, I think. But um, without that, it's only one out of five batterings. That's going to give the Outsiders number 41 out of five batterings. Let's move into our next issue, Batman Incorporated number seven. Batman Incorporated number 7, written by Grant Morrison with art by Chris Burnham. The issue starts with Man of Bats and Little Raven going door to door, checking that everyone is okay until they get to a home where the mother has committed suicide and left her baby to be found by the heroes. We then cut to a hospital where Bill Great Eagle, aka Man of Bats, is helping a patient before being summoned to the new boss's office. Unhappy with Bill's out-of-work activities, the new boss warns Bill that things are changing. We then cut to Man of Bats and Little Raven on patrol in their pickup truck Batmobile. Man of Bats is after a drug dealer, a known drug dealer named Sam Black Elk, who he believes is organizing the Reds gang. Finding him, he proceeds to beat the crap out of him and searches his pockets for what he believes is crack, but turns out to be spearmint wafers. Just then, two police officers turn up, one of them Bill doesn't recognise. Working out that the suspected crack is just a peppermint wafer, the new officer arrests Man of Bats, as well as Sam Black Elk, and Little Raven walks off in disgust, saying he's retiring as a hero. Back at the Man of Bats Batcave, Little Raven is complaining to his horses when Batman turns up. Bruce warns Raven that he and his father have been targeted by Leviathan. As this is happening, the new police officer is taking Man of Bats out of town. As Bill realises this, the police officer shoots his partner in the head, and Sam Black Elk, who was falsely handcuffed, stabs Man of Bats in the stomach. Meanwhile, a large group is forming around the car. Just as the group start to attack Man of Bats, Little Raven and Batman turn up, and as a group, along with some help from the locals, they overpower the gang. We then cut back to the hospital where Man of Bats is unconscious, hooked up to an IV. Batman invites Little Raven and Man of Bats into Batman Incorporated, offering them equipment, but Little Raven refuses it, saying they will fight Leviathan the way they fight every criminal. Next month, Batman in Tron. I mean, Batman and Oracle in Nightmares in Numberland. Batman Incorporated number seven. This, this was, in my opinion at least, a very interchangeable issue and that's why I think the confusion happened with that last issue that kind of moved things along and this kind of uh, in issue number six we saw a lot of things happen very quickly and Bruce explained a lot of things to a lot of the heroes and kind of get things set in place and this goes back to what we've seen in the past where Batman essentially teams up with a member of Batman Incorporated to help them out in a situation and essentially at the same time recruit them into Batman Incorporated. I I gotta say, I know very little about Man of Bats other than the stories that we've seen in the past and there hasn't been very many Man of Bats stories to tell you the truth. But I did think it was kind of cool to see the Man of Bats Batcave selling admission tickets and then the proceeds were going to a charity I, I thought that was kind of cool and the inside of the Batcave I'm not a huge fan of Chris Burnham's art specifically his his uh, style for the way he draws human faces 
but at the same time, the detail that he put into the Mana Bats Batcave was freaking amazing, and I, I really enjoyed that. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens if these characters actually come up into the future, yeah, besides just being, you know, this Batman moving forward and his entire Batman Incorporated army following him and Man of Bats being in the background because this was an interesting story. And it, the, one of the things I think that we're not really seeing because of the amount of p- story pages that were cut due to the two ninety nine price tag is that we're not really seeing the exploration of some of the side elements. Like, how exactly does Leviathan have some kind of effect on this random guy who runs a little gang inside of an uh, Indian reservation? Why would Leviathan even do that? And yes, Bruce Wayne does explain, oh, Leviathan is getting into these parts where the government's not really paying attention to. But that was just like a two-second exposition that explained it, but I think it was meant to be something bigger. I could be wrong but only Grant Morrison knows at this point. This this was enjoyable. It it was it, it brought us back to what I enjoyed with Batman Incorporated in the beginning. It doesn't really mess with a ton of different continuity things. It doesn't really it's not setting up this ginormous event that yes, it's 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 pending and it's it's right there in the the little future that we can see from, you know, just putting our hand to our forehead and looking off into the horizon. We know it's there, but it's just a simple story that reminds us, yes, it's going to happen, but things are still happening that Batman Incorporated still needs to take care of. So I'm going to give this four out of five batterings. This was more enjoyable than I thought it was going to be because I have absolutely no interest in uh, Man of Bats and Raven and Batman, you know, kind of in this little, you know, underdeveloped town that doesn't have a movie theater. Like, that's not interesting to me, but this attention the whole time. It got me to be interested in these characters, to care about this father and his um, strained relationship with his son, who he wants to, you know, play, basically play Batman and Robin with, and I love it when Batman goes into their Batcave and he sees, like, how poor they are, and he's like, huh, so you don't need all the money in the world to do it. Batman on a budget. I love it. Um, that scene, and this is the type of thing I wouldn't mind with Batman Inc., you know, just kind of like a day in the life with these different Batmans while they're with an overarching theme, you know, not just crazy, you know, weird stuff with the ghost of Kathy Kane. All right, I'm going to give this four out of five batterings. Yeah, this is cool. <laughs> this reminds me a lot of the, the issue that Batman Inc. 3, that predated the infamous Kathy Kane issue, where we, we got to look at the uh, day in the life of the sombrero a little bit. This is a really cool story about, I think this was hinted upon back in Black Love, with Batman of All Nations. This kind of reminds me of that, where... They're really dysfunctional, and uh, this was this is sort of played. This is sort of expanded upon, and I thought this was a very good story. It was very dark and gritty with like um, the violence near the end, but I thought that was actually it served the story well, and I liked how it exacerbated uh, Raven's feelings on everything, how he almost quit, and like Josh said, I liked the fact that Batman was entertained that uh, low budget crime fighters actually got things done, and he found that really he found that really cool. And I'll give this four out of five batterings as well. I really, really enjoyed this issue, and I mean, I was really excited to go to my store and pick this up, and it really didn't disappoint. I think the one issue with it, and it's not so much an issue for me, but it could be considered one, is that 
with the DC relaunch, it feels like Grant Morrison is being forced to write this more sort of to the point. And whilst it potentially is against his wishes or at least against his writing style, I'm actually enjoying it a lot more because he doesn't have time for that drawn-out narrative and drip-feed plot points, and it just leads to an incredibly fun, action-packed story. Um, and, it, I mean, it's just it's not confusing. It's like, you know, a standalone story, which I can just really get into and enjoy. I really enjoyed Burnham's art in this issue as well, and I, I'm really excited for, hopefully, three issues in three weeks, just next month. So I'm actually going to give this five out of five, because... I didn't think there was anything wrong with it, and I really enjoyed it. All right, so that is going to give Batman Incorporated number seven, four out of five batterings. Let's move into our next issue, Gotham City Sirens number 24. Was the singing really necessary? We start off at Arkham Asylum. Things are going a little crazy, and Poison Ivy, she has her vines up against the Joker with a knife to his throat, and she's asking Harley to choose her or the Joker, which... Come on, you know, and even Harley is thinking in her narration, yeah, Ivy knows what I'm going to choose, but she's just hoping that she's wrong. Harley, because, you know, this has been the new thing for Gotham City Sirens lately, plays some mind games with Ivy, like, oh, come on, Ivy, did you really think we were friends? I think you know me. And it puts Ivy's mind off enough that they're able to subdue her. All this is happening, and a Catwoman are taking care of things on Arkham Asylum, subduing as many people as they can, and they're eventually able to confront joker and harley and you know get them captured harley during all this is just enjoying being by the joker's side again poison ivy after being subdued by harley and the joker is unconscious somewhere in the asylum and catwoman you know thinks about it in her head and says yeah ivy belongs here too i'm gonna go ahead and betray her so batman and catwoman go to poison ivy and Catwoman punches her in the face and basically says, remember that thing that happened in issue one of Gotham City Sirens where you made me tell you who Batman was? I decided that I'm mad about that after all because this is a different writer, so you're going to Arkham. And that's the end of the issue. All right, Gotham City Sirens number 24. What was interesting about this issue really was nothing. We see Harley take a completely different approach than what we've seen over the past year and a half. Well, at this point, it's actually been two years since Gotham City Sirens kicked off, and she was more of a reformed villain, and Bruce Wayne was supporting her in that, and actually vouched for her when her parole hearing came up. I really didn't find this issue interesting. The There was a couple things I did find interesting, and that was... So there was a couple points where Joker knew exactly what Batman was going to do, and kind of prepared for them based on that. Same thing with Harley Quinn. You could see Harley Quinn and Joker moving or you know working together without even telling each other to work together. It was just they were doing it just by memory, which was cool to see. But at the same point, we really haven't seen that happen all that much to really make it super believable. Yes, we all know that Harley Quinn has worked with the Joker a thousand times, but... In stories, some of the stuff that was presented we've never actually seen, so it was hard to actually believe. It's hard to believe that somehow Joker and Harley Quinn have this in-sync attack that they do at a specific point in time, and the it always works out the exact same way. The other thing that was kind of interesting was to see that, uh, you know, of course, Batman, knowing that the Joker probably knows exactly what his moves are, of course... Does a step goes a step further and 
obviously, uh, you know, apprehends Joker and Harley Quinn. I am interested to see how exactly we're going to see two more issues of this series based on the fact that Gotham City Sirens, we've got two of them in Arkham Asylum and Catwoman's by herself. So, to me, what this seems is if Gotham City Sirens has just basically set up Catwoman to have her own series, and we're going to have two issues of her having her own series before we actually see Catwoman number one. It wasn't that great of a story. Uh, I can't even imagine what's to come next. Two out of five batterings. Yeah, like Dustin said, I really don't know how they're going to wrap this series because it really feels like the series ended forever ago when like Poison Ivy and Catwoman broke up. And it's just... It's like they're just biding their time. Like, well, we have a few more issues. So like, it's like every issue is a filler issue at this point. And what happened in this issue, you know, Poison Ivy getting, you know, beat up by Harley Quinn and then Batman and Catwoman taking over Arkham. It didn't seem like a lot was actually happening. It seemed really padded. And the whole thing where, like, Catwoman's like, this is for what you did to me in issue one. While that's a legitimate thing that Catwoman would be pissed about, it's, I feel like them bringing it up now and then, like, making Selina sound like she's, like, really, really, really mad about it now, like she's been mad about it all along, where, like, in issue two, and then, like, every time it was dealt with since, heck, they had a whole story arc about this recently with Zatanna and uh, Talia. Like, it seems like Catwoman had forgiven and was over Poison Ivy for doing it to her, so, like, it really felt forced for them to bring it back here, especially because it was a different writer. The art was beautiful. The story was not. I'm going to give it two out of five batteries. You know, tonight we've been kind of, uh, I've been sitting in pattern that we've been really kind of cynical and negative generally, and uh, whether it's been about the news and the comic books, there's been stuff that we you know we've seen before, there's nothing new, or there's stuff that we just don't find very appealing, or we don't understand why things have been done, have been do- being done. so I think that if, when you listen to this podcast, uh, listeners, you might get a sense that there's a general sense of just sour grapes tonight, and it's not that we try to do that intentionally, but... It's just how we how we have our opinions. I have never been more surprised in an issue of Gotham City Sirens as I as I have been tonight. This is the best issue I have ever read of the series, hands down. And it every page was like a huge surprise of how well I thought it was written. First of all, I'm not presumptuous enough to think that Peter Calloway was writing to me, but it sure seemed that way when the first page when Harley says I know what you think of me. You and I have a history. You think I'm just a doll, but you're wrong, very wrong. I am dangerous, and I'll show you. And this is why I like this. I didn't like it when we saw it previously when she started to kill a Joker because I felt that that sort of inner rage was misappropriated towards what we saw before. But now that she's back on the Joker's side and she's head over heels in love with him again, possibly more than ever now, it's more tragic. And the fact that she's focusing all that rage and energy on that fact that sort of justifies it to me and i really really liked it here i loved how she played poison ivy and um recently i was on a message board where there they have every every once in a while there's a topic that says oh which character which character can beat who and one of the topics was poison ivy versus harley quinn and everyone said well poison ivy obviously because she has powers and harley quinn's really goofy this I, I didn't have a single problem. I love how Harley took down Ivy here because she played her psychologically and there was no holding back. She, she even says, oh, do you, do you love me? Because there's, there's that big... Uh, it's, it, it's, it goes further than, than uh, shipping the characters. It actually is a sort of an assumed 
uh, hypothesis with the, the two's relationship. But I thought that was great. I love the uh, the um, comparison between her and Joker and Catwoman and Batman. And I love how they get defeated in the end and how Poison Ivy was sent back to Arkham. It was a little weird that Catwoman decided, oh, now I'm mad because of what happened way back in the beginning of the series. But I liked the same. And just overall, I thought this was very smartly written. Or at least very logically written. I, it felt right to me. And at the end of the day, it was not It was nothing more than a fight between Batman and the Joker. But it was done so entertaining that I gotta give this a 5 out of 5. <laughs> and I never ever thought I'd say this about a t- an issue from this title ever. But I am. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed this issue too. Um, I've liked the whole arc. And like I said in the last one, it actually feels like it's got weight to it. And the progression of the story, it's, it's dealing with things that you don't often see in that normally it's, it's just part of the story and then you move on and then but this is dealing with that and you know what would happen if Holly actually did you know break into Arkham stuff how would she get out and all of that sort of stuff which I'm really really enjoying and I'm a bit confused by the art because of its inconsistency like sometimes I'll absolutely love a panel next one I'll hate but the panel layouts I absolutely love I'm sitting there almost in awe for some of it, and that might be an overreaction, but like throughout the whole arc, for some of it, I've just been really, really enjoying like the way the pages set out and how the panels flow and stuff like that. So overall, I do really enjoy the art, apart from obviously his Grinaldo's chubby Catwoman because she is really unattractive, and you know I'm not one of those people who stares at comic books and you know. But it, even for me, it's a bit, you know, they've got to have some kind of something going for them, and she just doesn't. But I'm interested to see what happens in the remaining issues. I mean, especially now that now that Holly and Ivy are both in Arkham. So it probably will just lead directly into Catwoman issue one. But um, aside from the slight issues with the art and, you know, a couple of things here and there, like the violence of Catwoman when she like clawed the guy's face and Batwoman was just like yeah if you've got to do it you've got to do it which I thought was out of character but um, aside from a few things like that I really love the issue so I'm going to give it four and a half out of five batterings and I'm going to pick, definitely pick this up in trade when it comes out alright so that is going to give Gotham City Sirens number 24 three out of five batterings so let's move into our next issue Batman Arkham City number three Arkham City 3, written by Paul Dini, illustrated by Carlos Denanda. This issue begins with a bearded vagrant making his way through the Joker's Arkham City territory. His name is Lester Kurtz, and after proving his medal against the Joker's goons, he earns a place in the gang. Later that night, Kurtz applies for the same position as a member of the Penguins gang, and is assigned to rob an armory shipment coming in. However, due to a previously dispatched with Snitch, the Joker's men attack the shipment by the time the Penguin's men arrive. Kurtz distracts both the Joker's gang and the police with a grenade, blowing up the newly transported arms so that he and the Penguin's gang can get away. The Penguin is outraged, but he cannot fault Kurtz's logic and commands him to lead a strike against the Joker's compound next they meet. No prizes for guessing, Kurtz is real to us as Batman, now knowing where the two gangs stand in the fight for Arkham City. The issue ends with Hugo Strange secretly monitoring Batman and plotting his own diabolical plan to be continued. All right, Batman Arkham City number three. I, I did like the idea of essentially Batman taking a role 
similar to what we've seen in the past with Magis Malone, but a different, obviously a different uh, role in, in Batman Arkham City. I'm interested to see if some of the things that are happening in the comic are actually going to appear inside of the actual video game. And what I mean by that is, it was kind of odd to me how when we saw Batman take on the Joker's henchmen in the very early pages of the issue, it appeared as if one of the men was actually the man who was supposed to be the Joker's lieutenant, because he looked exactly like what we've seen in screenshots and that for the video game, but he has both of his arms, and as we know, those the, the Joker's lieutenant also had, there's a Penguin lieutenant, and they were actually conjoined twins at one point, and they don't, they each don't have an arm. So, I don't know if that was on purpose, or if that was just an accident that, that, uh, that they looked so similar. We'll have to see with that. To me, I didn't really think that the Joker was actually one of the main entities in Arkham City, based on at least what we've seen from the video game. And I know this is a comic cast and the video game talk, we've got to keep to a minimum because this is the, we're talking about the comics here, but we've barely seen anything related to the Joker. At this point, the comic is now setting up where the Joker is this huge entity inside Arkham City and his main competition is the Penguin. But as far as what we've seen promoted for the video game, Two-Face is a major entity inside of Arkham City, and we know that Penguin is too. We know that Joker's in Arkham City, but we've seen very little related to the Joker, So, except for the fact that we know that the Joker is feeling the effects from the Titan formula that he took at the end of Arkham Asylum, which is interesting because in the comic we no longer see any of those uh, effects that we once saw in the very first issue of Arkham City, and not a ton of time has passed. Yes, I think they've 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 declared that it's been about six months that have passed since the the events of Arkham Asylum, but essentially it just seems like we're starting to get to the point where the comic is starting to veer off course, and that might be cut might be because Paul Dini's writing it and he has to fill in a couple issues here and there to make it actually last six issues, which is sad. But I did like the concept of Batman going undercover to figure out exactly the methods and methodology of Penguin and Joker and how they're doing what they're doing inside of Arkham City. I am even more interested to know who is in the cellar of the Penguin's hideout as I don't think it's anybody we're expecting. So I'm going to give this three and a half out of five bad ranks. I like this. Uh, It's... I, I think I said in the last uh, podcast that usually when we get tie-in, you know, material for video games or movies, the tie-in material is never really that good. But it was fun to get, like, a nice Batman undercover story, you know, like, more of a detective thing instead of just Batman saying that he figured something out all along or just Batman fighting while doing exposition of how he figured something out. Like, these type of stories are more fun and we don't see them as much. And regardless of this is a tie into a video game or a reboot or a new universe or just a regular status quo, this was a good Batman story regardless. Um, the art was great. I'm going to give it three out of five batterings. Yeah, I like this too. Um, I love the art. I love the colors by um, Gabel Taib, I think. Uh, his 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 art really really highlights his colors really highlight um, Denanda's art and I and I find them really accessible really fun like really eye popping. Uh, this is a very simple story, but you know it's stuff that we like Batman to see Batman doing uh, going undercover and fooling his enemies. But aha, 
is he being fooled too by one of his enemies? So it's it's nothing new, but you know it's a it's a video game tie-in and it's an entertaining one of that. So I'm gonna give this three and a half out of five better ring. Once again, I really enjoyed Arkham City. Um, it was cool to see the penguin in the comic. I did have to keep reminding myself to read him in it with a Cockney accent. But um, uh-huh. trouble is, in that first scene with the trap door, it really did keep reminding me of Mr. Burns, especially with the um, stuffed polar bear in the background. With the, uh, the person in the cellar, the, fir- the only person I could think of was possibly the um, conjoined twin. But, I mean, there, there were guys equally big to him there who were worried so I'm not sure but uh, I mean mean, reading it I wasn't actually expecting Lester Kurtz to be Batman so all the way through I was wondering why he was was so much focusing on him like Dustin said I'm not sure how much this is actually gonna play into the game but um, it is making me excited for it and I wonder whether Batman wearing disguises will actually be part of the game but um I did enjoy the issue, and I'm going to give it four out of five batterings. All right, so that is going to give Batman Arkham City number three, three and a half out of five batterings. You've traveled about 50 years into your future. And the Watchtower? It's gone. We lost a lot of good people that day. You mean Superman? Jean? All the others? Yeah. You too. And the Batcave? This is all we have left now. Deal with it. Let's move into our last issue, which is Detective Comics number 878, written by Scott Snyder, art by Jacques. We start off with where we left off within the last issue, where Dick Grayson is essentially being held captive by Tiger Shark, and we find out that Tiger Shark gives a nice little exposition, well, not Tiger Shark himself, but Tiger Shark's henchmen give a nice little exposition of exactly what pirates are and how pirates should be portrayed over the past 4,000 years. And Tiger Shark reveals that uh, he is a keeper of all things of value, and that's exactly what a pirate is. At points... Tiger Shark cuts the the rope and Batman falls into a pit where he is attempted to be taken out by one of the killer whales. Batman, of course, that doesn't actually happen. And when he gets back up into the yacht, we see that Tiger Shark has actually escaped without his henchmen and he blows up the yacht itself. Batman, Dick Grayson, emerges from the water defeating the odds of actually surviving such a horrific accident, and he rushes back to Gotham City because he's supposed to be meeting James Gordon Jr. Uh, He meets with him, they have a nice little talk about how the last time they they saw each other was back in the day when uh, a person they knew called Ben Wolf stole James' glasses and Barbara pushed the boy into the pond because of it. Uh, James says that he just actually saw this Ben Wolf character a couple days ago, and you know he's he's uh, a lot better than he was back when they were kids. Suddenly, Dick realizes something when uh, he's talking to James Gordon Jr. and says, "I have to take off." We see him in the bat suits as he approaches Sonia Branch, also known as Sonia Suko, 
and uh, he basically tells her that she was playing Batman and actually wanted him to take out Tiger Shark and the Roadrunner. So because of this, Batman says that uh, he's going to have to be watching her more carefully, but unfortunately there's no proof of that she's actually done anything wrong other than obstructing justice. So with the end of that, we then go back to James Gordon Jr., who's walking up to a house with the mailbox that says Wolf, walks down to the basement, where we see what appears to be Ben Wolf tied up with his arms and legs chopped off, bleeding profusely, and James Gordon Jr. says, Now where were we? Alright, so that's the end of Detective Comics number 878. All right, a couple interesting things about this issue. This Tiger Shark character has kind of been the character that we haven't seen, but have we've heard about for quite some time now, and to finally see this character and to... It was kind of, in my opinion, a letdown in some sense, because all this hype about this character, and not just in, in interviews that Scott Snyder's been talking about this character, but also with the fact that the story itself has been making this character as this is the, the, the character, this is the villain to end all villains, and then to have him play such a minor role in everything, only to escape and still be at large. Not sure exactly how this is going to play out. We do have a couple more issues before Detective Comics ends, but I don't know exactly how it's going to end at this point. The other thing that's interesting about this is that... Uh, James Gordon Jr., we were under the assumption that he was reformed, that he was, you know, that we, we, they were hinting at the possibility of a lot of horrible things that he could still be doing. But the, the basic message that I, at least I was interpreting from everything that I was reading was that he was reformed and he was trying to become a normal citizen and respect, earn the respect and trust of his family. So the reveal at the end of the issue is that uh, he clearly hasn't changed, and everything that we thought was in question about, well, did he actually do these thing, these horrible things in the past, or were they just perceptions of people that were thinking that he could and it was possible for him to do these horrible things? Now we, we've kind of gotten the reveal that uh, he is, in fact, a horrible person who is pot, who is definitely capable of doing all these horrible things that was very cleverly alluded to not to in the past issues. So I don't even I don't know where this can go with this James Gordon Jr. story because the 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 thrill of what was going on with him was is he bad, is he good, is he bad, is he good? And to get these final pages of this issue to reveal that he is in fact a bad person, all these things that, you know, we were shown that it was possible that he didn't do in the past is now entirely possible. I don't know, there's not really as much mystery surrounding the character, so it'll be interesting to see where Scott Snyder takes this into the future. I'm also interested to know exactly where, where the story with Dick Grayson and Batman's going to go, because we do have a couple more issues, and it really seemed like that story just wrapped up. So we'll have to see what happens. But it was a, it was a good issue. The art was is, was very good. And uh, I'm going to give this three and a half out of five batterings. I, I disagree about the different appeal of James Gordon Jr. being, is he or is he not this killer thing? I think that they 
milked that for what it was worth. And now that we know who he is, you know, the story can move on to the next phase, which I'm glad because, like I said, they milked it for what it was worth. It was creepy, but now, you know, we need to get to the next part. I loved him tying the guy up at the end. And from the middle of the issue, when, like, James Gordon Jr. just mentions this guy for no reason, you knew that there was going to, something was going to happen, that Dick was going to find, I thought Dick was going to find the guy's body or he was going to be reported dead or, like, something was going to happen. So, um, I, as usual, detective, I, I just kind of, you know, was half awake during the other stuff, like with, you know, Zuko's daughter and everything, and, you know, and Batman versus a killer whale. It was this stuff that I like because this is what I've been following and what I have, you know, more of the emotional connection to. Not surprisingly enough, you know, Dick Grayson, you know, confronting the daughter of the person who killed his parents, which by all accounts should feel some should be something that you feel a lot more of a personal connection to. But for whatever reason, I don't think Schneider was able to pull it off. Still, you know, this has been um, a, a fun ride on Detective. It continues to be fun. I'm going to give it four out of five batterings. I think uh, both Josh and Dustin bring up an interesting point with uh, the revelation that indeed Gordon Jr. is this psychopathic killer. And I kind of saw Dustin, when I saw that, it's like, okay, I guess it's going to confirm now there's no redeeming this guy. But I don't know. It's interesting because like whenever we saw all those stories where it was a was he, was he not kind of aspect to it, it made him a lot creepier just because of like his denial and his assurance that he wasn't, and he was younger then. Now that he's older, he can't be older than I say fifteen or whatever. Even though he looks like a grown man, but it to me it, it makes it makes me think like what how how is Gordon going to deal with this? How is Dick Grayson going? To, how how are, how can they? Are, when are they going to find out? How can they possibly cope that this guy, this person that is so close to Gordon's uh, family, who is his family, is this messed up of a person? Now that the, so it's basically now that the the, the the shark has been jumped in the sense that we know what he is, to me the next question is how can Gordon cope with this, and that's what's getting me uh, amped up for the next issue. I thought the issue as a whole was perfectly fine. Uh, it wasn't especially exciting, but it was entertaining nonetheless. I really like Jock's art now. It's it's very abstract, but at times he can draw a sort of ugly Batman, but he can draw a very beautiful woman. I think without without it being very cheesecakey, I thought she looked very. Um, there's really nice realistic shots of uh, the scene with Batman and Branch at the pool, and the coloring was very nice as well. Again, I love how Snyder writes Dick Grayson with him trying to make the quip after he escaped certain death, but he's so out of breath he can he can't even finish it. He's like, "Reports of my death." <laughs> I, I'm fine. I'm fine. I thought that was great. So um, this was actually a very entertaining issue that I thought, and as always with Scott Snyder's Batman work. Dying to see what, where, it, where it leads to next. I'm going to give this a strong 4 out of 5 batterings. I haven't enjoyed this arc as much as I did the last one. And that's no comment on Snyder's writing because I, I am still enjoying it. I enjoyed the issue and the arc. But whereas before I was really enjoying the, the Black Mirror storyline, now I find myself looking forward more to the issues featuring James Gordon Jr. And um, But, you know, we got that in this issue and it was awesome. But, uh... I realized I love Jock's art when there's action or movement, but when the characters are static or just in speech, they tend to look off. But overall, I like it. And I think we're lucky to be getting this comic bi-monthly, and I know it's just to fit it in, but that's one of the advantages of the renumbering. The last page reveal was really cool. 
the only way it could have been better if there was more blood but I'm like that I am a teenager so um, and although when James mentioned that childhood friend to Dick I, you know your instant reaction is to, to, sus- to suspect something and I did but then so many times we've suspected and been proved false that I thought I didn't really make anything of it so when it did happen I think it made it even cooler and I'm really looking forward to the next James Gordon Jr. story with Commissioner Gordon and um, I believe that's the next issue so I'm really looking forward to that but I'm going to give this four and a half out of five batterings. Alright, so that is going to give Detective Comics number 878 four out of five batterings. That is our last issue to review so we are now going to throw over Nick with Bat Books for Beginners. exciting edition of Bat Books for Beginners. If you're new to this particular um, segment or podcast feed, then this is an opportunity for you to catch up with Batman's older stories. I go through Batman's career from start to finish. I'm about halfway through at the moment. Still plenty more to go and I've done some fantastic stories so far. So if you're interested in revisiting Batman and and going over some of his uh, great and weak stories, then this is what you want to listen to. My name is Nick, and today I'm looking at a story called Robin, the Joker's Wild. Now, this is the second series in a uh, collection of Robin stories that was done in the 90s by Chuck Dixon. This one in particular is a four-issue miniseries published in 1991. And it's hot off the heels of the first series, which I have reviewed on BBFB a few episodes ago. So, in this second series, we are back with the established Tim Drake, who is the third and newest Robin. And the first series went down so well that they asked Chuck Dixon to come back and uh, write the second series. And he's a writer who seems to be synonymous with Tim Drake, um... Seems to know the character very well, seems to always have exciting situations for him to go into, um, and I'm really enjoying everything I'm reading of Chuck Dixon so far. And the art is provided by Tom Lyle, who um, is a, has been a regular partner and did the art in the first Robin series as well. So these guys were both asked back to continue their story about Tim Drake, who of course didn't actually have a series or a book at the time, but clearly people were getting interested in this new Robin, um, enjoying his character after uh, the whole Jason Todd fiasco. This looked like a character people were getting behind, and DC were clearly happy to keep making stories for him. So, let's dive into Tim Drake's second series, The Joker's Wild. The Joker is scheduled for a visit from his mother at Arkham Asylum for his birthday. The institution reluctantly agrees to this meeting. Soon, the old lady who arrives brings out a Bible which releases a poisonous gas that breaks throughout Arkham Asylum. We learn that this mother was actually in fact one of Joker's henchmen, and Joker escapes as a result. 
Batman is out of Gotham attending other issues in Rio de Janeiro, so it's up to Robin to stop the Joker. Robin realises that the Joker must not be aware that Batman is out of town, or else he will try to attract Batman's attention with some sort of massacre. In order for Robin to convince Gotham and Joker that Batman is still around, he places a hologram of Batman with him um, dotted around the city. While Joker sabotages a telephone company, he learns that Robin is displaying these holograms, and he figures out that Robin must be alone in Gotham. Joker then strikes Gotham with a wave of cyber attacks affecting the police, the fire department, and many other government agencies. Uh, Gotham is in chaos, and the governor and mayor are ready to consider Gotham a disaster zone. Robin tries to track down where the computer attacks are coming from via the Bat computer, but the Joker fights back, almost hacking into the Batcave and destroying it, but failing, luckily. Joker then holds Gotham for ransom. Robin uses this as an opportunity to step up and make a trap for the Joker, to prevent him from uploading any more viruses that would send Gotham into chaos for years. Tim manages to trick the Joker, he uses the element of surprise and manages to defeat him. Alfred then tells Tim that Bruce will be most impressed when he returns. You blew it, Joker. Au contraire, bird boy. I'm just getting fired up. So in review, I think um, it's interesting that some of the best characters that we have in, in the Batman universe, other than, the, that, than Bruce himself, on the hero side anyway, is the Robins, I think. Um, Dick Grayson, I think, has grown to be a fascinating character. Jason Todd, whatever you think of him, is an intriguing character, even now, with his uh, current incarnation. Uh, Tim Drake, much loved, even people like Stephanie Brown, and now Damian Wayne as well, is doing very well as Robin, people are starting to come around to him. So clearly Robin is an interesting role that really does, a lot of people connect with Robin, and um, it seems to really uh, bring out some good characters, that particular role for some reason. Clearly there's a lot of character development in that role. But I like this story, this baptism of fire, so to speak, where Robin is up against Batman's greatest nemesis, big challenge, first, the, mass the biggest challenge we've seen Tim Drake come across so far. Um, Chuck Dixon, I think, is perhaps one of the best writers when it comes to all Robins. Um, he certainly knows Dick Grayson the best, I think, and Tim Drake. He developed Tim Drake for years and years, even after this series. He really pushed that character and I think made that character what it is today. And Tim almost reminds me a little bit of the Barbara Gordon Batgirl. In the way, with their style, it's not a case of being like Bruce Wayne. Tim Drake doesn't make as many mistakes as Barbara Gordon does um, initially. I'm saying I like Barbara Gordon, but she makes mistakes and learns from them. Tim Drake doesn't make so many mistakes, but he um, but he's not perfect. And you definitely get that when you get to understand what he's thinking and feeling at the time. He's not perfect. He make he does make mistakes. He is scared, nervous, whatever it is, but he overcomes it. I think that is a similar style of writing that we come across with Barbara Gordon too. I enjoyed the Joker's mum idea, I thought it was quite intriguing, I um, wasn't expecting Joker to have a mum, and um, but I think I could have, I would have liked to have seen that played out a little bit more. Uh, we get a good little cameo from Mr Freeze that I quite enjoyed as he confronts the Joker, didn't last very long at all. Um, it was interesting that Alfred drives around with Tim in this book quite a lot, because Tim's not able to drive yet, 
It was good to see Alfred really helping out Tim because we haven't really seen those two spend a lot of time together yet. The only issue was that he was constantly with Robin in public, which I thought was a bit of a giveaway for Robin's identity. Why not get Alfred to wear the domino mask that we see so often in the 60s show? Um, I liked the idea of Jim Gordon getting frustrated with just having a Robin, no Batman, fighting something as big as the Joker. You could see how he got a bit concerned. Um, Tim was obviously worried all the way through the book. I mean, this Joker guy killed the last kid to wear the outfit he's wearing. must have been very daunting. I thought Chuck Dixon managed to get through this quite well. I mean, Chuck Dixon has this old-school style of writing. It does feel sometimes a little bit hip in the sense that Chuck Dixon's trying to be cool. He's trying to send out a message to kids don't do drugs, don't try and be the popular kid, that sort of stuff. And I feel that gets a bit dated now, unfortunately. Um, in the great morals, and I, I understand where he's coming from, he wants to help kids, but um, it does feel a bit dated, unfortunately, and uh, I would have to mark it down slightly for that. I like the fact that Joker was shocked to see Robin, he thought he had killed him, and then was learnt pretty soon after that it was a different kid. Uh, the Joker was very good in this story, I think. He, he won relentlessly. Uh, it was good to see that he was knocking Tim back often. Tim was not winning the fight here. And it's good to see the greatest villain that we have in these stories isn't dealt with easily by Tim, because Tim is a bit of a novice, and it was good to see the Joker really shown to be powerful and, men and, and a big worry, and you can see why Tim was concerned when he had to go up against him. Um, the art in general, I thought it was good detail. I like the style, I think it fits the story well. The Joker wasn't perfect though, unfortunately. Um, not exactly how I'd picture him. It looked very classical and had a strange mouth, which seems to be... The, the mouth and the nose seem to be the big thing with artists and the Joker. I didn't think it looked quite right for me. But all in all, um, really exciting story actually. It was nice to get a break from Bruce and just focus on Tim Drake. I think he did a great job. Joker was menacing. I mean, you can't get... When you want to bring out a good villain, you can't do any better than that. And I think Dixon and Lyle did a very good job together, and I really enjoyed the story. Um, apart from a few very small minor negatives, I would say uh, it's it's a very good story, and if you like Tim Drake, it's one worth checking out. Four and a half batarangs out of five. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Go back to ripping off mob dealers? No, no, no. So you may have noticed that we do now have, as you're listening to this, or we will very shortly, BBFB will have its own podcast feed, which means you can listen to these episodes directly. So with that, I thought it'd be a good idea to try and re-energise BBFB, get the feedback coming in again. I want you to email me. You can e always email me at nick, N-I-C-K, at thebatmanuniverse.net I'm always eager to hear your feedback, suggestions um, go on the forums, let me know how you think of the show on there and yes, yeah, so I just want to get um, if you're new to BBFB or you're a regular listener please send me an email, let me know what you think any changes that you'd like to see we've got some exciting books coming up so I'm, I hope you can join me for those just because the DC Comics are being reinvented, we, we don't have to ignore all these old stories. I think they'll still play a part, and um, at the end of the day, they're good stories, a lot of them. So if you just want to read some good stories involving some of your favourite characters, then stick with me, and I'll guide you through some good ones. 
So next time we'll be staying with the Joker and learning a bit more about his ultimate love interest, and that would be Harley Quinn. And this story, which is called Mad Love, apparently defines the complicated and cracked relationship between the cute and crazy Harley Quinn and her pudding, the Joker. Now, I've not read much with Harley Quinn. Obviously, I'm familiar with her from the show, the animated series, um, and the video games, etc. Um, but I've not really read a lot with her involved, so I'm looking forward to seeing how that works. Um, so that will be in the next instalment of BBFB. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I've been Nick. Do please send me an email. And remember to keep reading. Alright, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. Make sure you pick it up the next issue of that. And also we'll be checking out the website for the Bat Books for Beginners segments to be posted on the websites individually so you can catch up on all the latest episodes without having to listen to the entire comic cast of the past so with that let's move into bat book delays what we've got joe um bat book delays the only real delay was to batman incorporated issue eight which has been delayed by four weeks the weird thing is it's coming out now after issue nine but the reason for this, I think, is because issue 9 is the one with Batman traveling to England for the team-up with Batgirl. So that may just be to fit in better with Ryan Q. Miller's story in Batgirl. And they seem to be pretty standalone stories now, so I think they are going to be pretty much interchangeable, despite having the teaser for issue 8 at the end of issue 7. But we'll have to see what happens there. I think that uh, that teaser at the end is is one of those things where that is easily interchangeable between issue to issue, and that's why it ends up working. Yeah, I, mean, I suppose it does say this will happen next month, and they all three last issues come out next month, so kind of works anyway. All right, so let's go over what we'll be covering on the next podcast. We'll have a you know another another decent set of books, but it'll kind of even itself out with these next coming podcast we will be covering batman robin number 25 batman beyond number seven flashpoint batman night of vengeance number two batgirl number 23 batman the dark knight number three if it ends up coming out on time birds of prey number 14 detective comics number 879 and red robin number 25 yes i was hoping you were going to say this coming out next time <laughs> can't wait to let this year we're covering as of right now obviously if there ends up being delays we won't be covering some of those issues if there ends up being delays on any of them but that's what we're covering as of right now like i said earlier this is the second to last podcast before comic-con the uh the next podcast should actually post the friday of comic-con so uh be looking for that while you're at comic-con you i guess you could plug in your ipod and listen listen to the batman universe while you're walking around the convention floor we will be there in force, uh, myself, Don, and Josh, as well as uh, a couple of other staff writers on the websites will be there as well, getting all the latest Batman news. So make sure if you are heading over to San Diego Comic-Con, even if it is for one day, as we will be there for the entire weekend, make sure that you uh, follow us on Twitter, as we will be consistently updating Twitter with our whereabouts so that we can meet some of the fans, as well as meeting up, 
possibly at panels and you never know we could we could be we could be anywhere and you can always email us and let us know you're headed over also head over to the forums we're going to start up a thread related to san diego for those of you who could be headed there which reminds everybody if you uh, join the forums and uh, your account is not activated within a week make sure you email us and let us know that your account needs to be activated so you can jump on there and converse with all the other bad fans that hover over the forums with that we're always looking for comic book reviewers to review all the books we review on this podcast as well as anything else in the dc universe you can find all the comic related news as well as news related to every other aspect of batman at the website thebatmanuniverse.net you can follow us on facebook twitter and youtube you can listen to our wide variety of other podcasts including a brand new blooper show on the specials podcast as well as our special related to the DC relaunch, also on the Specials Podcast. We have our summer animated movie commentary is being released weekly as of right now. A number of episodes have already posted and more are on the way every single Friday throughout this summer. Lots of things going on in the BatmanUniverse.net. It'd be great for you to hop on in and become a comic book reviewer and a contributing writer for the, uh, the BatmanUniverse.net. Join us as we become busier and busier and busier at leading up to the release of The Dark Knight Rises. So that's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. You got Josh. This is Don. And this is Joe. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Take care. Don't call it a reboot. <laughs> Bye.